The year was 8031. The place is a grassy hill by the Sea of Galilee. The people are hungry. And Jesus turns to his disciples and says, Give ye them to eat. But Lord, they cry, how can we feed the multitudes with such limited resources? I mean, all we have is two small fish and five loaves of bread. How can we feed the enormous number of people with so little? I mean, are we supposed to divide up the loaves and fish and give each person a crumb? But Jesus' instructions are clear. He says, give ye them to eat. But Lord, they cry, we don't have the financial ability to feed so many. This is all we cry. They, this is all we have, they cry, holding up their two small fish and their five loaves of bread. But Jesus says, if you just give me the little that you have, I'll multiply it and I'll make it more. And so they did, and it did, and he did. And as a result, over 5,000 were fed, and they were filled. The year is 2019. The place is here, and the time is now. All around us, people are hungry and thirsty for righteousness, all around us, people are hungering to hear the good news of the Adventist message. All around us, people are hungry to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. All around us, people are hungry to hear the three angels' messages of Revelation 14. And Jesus says to you and me, as his disciples, Give ye them to eat. But we say, But Lord... We don't have the resources to effectively spread the gospel. Give ye them to eat, Jesus commands. But we say, but Lord, we don't have the time. I mean, we can barely make it to Sabbath school on time. How are we supposed to carve out the time to engage in sharing Christ and serving people? Give ye them to eat, Jesus cries. But the disciples are full of excuses. Somehow they don't fully understand the mission. But Jesus says, if you just give me the little that you have, I'll take it and I'll multiply it and I'll make it more. If you just give me your talents and your gifts and your abilities, just place it in my hands. I'll do more than you can ask, think of, or imagine. Good evening. My name is Philip Batiste, and this evening I'm so humbled and honored to have the opportunity to give you the closing challenge. Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 to 38. Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 to 38. If you found it, say, I got it. If you need more time, say, have mercy. mercy. Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 to 38. The Bible says, Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. 
And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, for they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. With your prayers and God's help, for the next few minutes, I'm going to challenge you from the topic, mission priority, it's harvest time. So I want to do a little exercise as we begin. When I say mission priority, you say it's harvest time. Let's practice. Mission priority. Mission priority. Mission priority. Mission priority. Amen. Amen. That's our topic for this evening. Turn to your neighbor and say those words. Say mission priority. It's harvest time. Go. Amen, amen, amen. That's our topic for today. Mission priority, it's harvest time. Let us pray. Father, I ask one more time that you'll make me just a nail upon the wall, holding your picture into place. Let people not see me, but let them be reminded of your redeeming grace. Oh, Jesus, make me just a nail upon the wall, holding your picture into place. In Jesus' name we pray, let everyone say, Amen. Amen. Matthew 9 describes the missional priority of Jesus. While the disciples were busy fighting and bickering about who's going to sit on the left side and who's going to sit on the right side and who's going to be greatest in the kingdom of heaven, Jesus was totally and completely focused on mission. Matthew 9, 35 declares that Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. His focus was not on church or governmental politics. His focus was on mission. And while the disciples were more focused on changing the political landscape of the Roman Empire, Jesus was focused on mission. While the disciples were more focused on climbing the church's corporate ladder, Jesus was focused on mission. While the disciples were trying to figure out who was going to be the next head elder or conference president, Jesus was focused on mission. And how did he accomplish his mission? I just love your kind of questions. By seeking the lost and serving the least. By proclaiming the gospel and healing the sick. You see, you didn't realize it, but over 2,000 years ago, Jesus was a part of the very first ASI in Galilee. You see, Jesus was an ASI member. You see, he was a layperson. He was not a pastor or a priest or a Levi. He was a carpenter by profession, a business professional who had mastered the art of carpentry from his earthly father while simultaneously mastering the art of total dependence on his heavenly father. And with an unprecedented determination to preach the gospel, he went out to recruit 12 other lay people to be his disciples to establish the very first ASI chapter in Jerusalem. And he models for them 
how ASI members ought to live and how they ought to lead. His life's focus and his leadership focus is all about mission. Mission priority. It's harvest time. Say it with me. Mission priority. Mission priority. Mission priority. Jesus combined the ministry of healing with the ministry of preaching. And as Seventh-day Adventists, we are compelled to do the same. Listen to the Seventh-day Adventist Church's official mission statement found on our website and written in our policy. Our mission is to make disciples of Jesus Christ who live as his loving witness and proclaim to all people the everlasting gospel of the three angels' messages in preparation for his soon return. Now listen to our method. Our method, guided by the Bible and the Holy Spirit, Seventh-day Adventists pursue this mission through Christ-like living, communicating, discipling, teaching, healing, and serving. This is what ASI is all about. And this is what we must be about. Mission priority. Mission priority. Mission priority. You see, our mission is about saving lives. Our mission is about sharing Christ and serving people. Our mission is designed to ensure that no one is lost. Let me illustrate. On a dangerous seacoast where shipwrecks often occur, there was once a crude little life-saving station. The building was just a little hut, and there was only one boat. But the few devoted members kept constant watch over the sea. With no thought for themselves, day and night, they went out tirelessly searching for the lost. Many lives were saved by this wonderful little life-saving station. Soon, it became famous. Some of those who were saved and various others in the surrounding areas wanted to become associated with the station and give of their time and money and effort for the support of its work. New boats were brought and new crews were trained and the little life-saving station grew. Soon, some of the new members of a life-saving station were unhappy that the building was crude and so poorly equipped. They felt that a more comfortable place should be provided as the first refuge for those who had been saved from sea. So they replaced the emergency cots with beds and put better, nicer furniture in an enlarged building. And now the life-saving station became a gathering place, popular gathering place for its members. They began to redecorate it beautifully and they furnished it as some sort of club. Less of the members were now interested in going to sea on life-saving missions. So they hired lifeboats and life crews to do the work. Boat crews to do the work. The mission of life-saving was still given lip service, but most people were too busy or lacked the necessary commitment 
to take, to take part in the life-saving activities personally. About this time, a large ship was wrecked off the coast, and the hired crews brought in boatloads of cold, wet, half-drowned people. They were dirty, they were sick. Some of them had uh, black skin or brown skin, and some of them spoke a strange language, and the beautiful new club was now considerably messed up. So the property committee had a shower house built outside of a club where victims of the shipwreck could be cleaned up before coming inside. At the next meeting, there was a split in the club membership. Most of the members wanted to stop the club's life-saving activities as being an unpleasant and a hindrance to the normal pattern of the club. But some of the members insisted that life-saving was their primary purpose and pointed out that they were still called a life-saving station. But they were finally voted down and told that if they wanted to save the lives of all kind of various dirty, dingy people who were shipwrecked in these waters, they could go and begin their own life-saving station further down the coast. And so they did. And as the years went by, the new station experienced the same changes that had occurred in the old station. They also evolved into a club, and yet another life-saving station was formed. If you visit the seacoast today, you will find a number of exclusive clubs there along the shore. Shipwrecks are frequent in those waters, but now almost everybody drowns. Hmm. The Seventh-day Adventist Church is called to engage in seeking the lost and serving the least. We are called to be a life-saving station. We are called to rescue the perishing and pray for the dying. We are called to save lives and to be a life-saving station. We are called to engage in selfless service for the Savior. We are called to be mission-focused because... Mission priority. Mission priority. Mission priority. We are called to be a life-saving station. I hear you, Pastor. I hear you. But I got a question for you. How do we make mission our priority? Oh, I just love your kind of questions. I've got three practical ways that I want to share with you this evening. How many ways? Three. three practical ways that I want to share with you that you can intentionally live out the motto of mission priority. The first way that we, I believe, can live out this motto of missional living and mission priority, it's harvest time is to, number one, refresh your prayer and devotional life. Refresh your prayer and devotional life. If there ever was a time we needed to be in prayer, that time is now. Sister White says prayer is not the way to accomplish the work. Prayer is the work. And we need to be praying like never before. 
And we need to be studying and in the Word like never before. So you need to refresh your devotional life and your prayer life. If you have a family, rekindle the altar of family worship. Make sure that every day you are praying together, you are worshiping together. And make sure you're not only praying together as a family and studying the Word together as a family, but make sure you're doing it together uh, as couples and make sure you're doing it individually as a person, uh, as an individual, because the secret to our success lies when we move forward on our knees. That is our highest calling. We don't need more planning and more strategies. Our chief strategy is prayer. Our chief strategy is Bible study. That is our number one goal. I remember when the two disciples were on the road to Emmaus. And you remember they were discouraged, they were down, and they were asking the question, Jesus, why have you left us like this? Jesus, how is it that we thought that you had come to redeem Israel, but yet you are suddenly gone? And just when they thought Jesus had left them was just when he was walking right beside them. Don't you love that about Jesus? Just when I need him most, Jesus is there to comfort and share. Just when I need him most. And as they're discouraged and they're down, Jesus walks beside them. And Jesus takes them to, through three steps to be able to see his face, to be able to recognize who he is. Because the Bible says their eyes were hidden from him, that they could not see or recognize who he was. And so the first thing is he has a Bible study with them on the road to Emmaus. You remember? And then after the Bible study, when they get to the house, he, he prays and he breaks the bread. Let me tell you, Bible study, prayer, and brokenness are the keys to success in whatever you want to do for Jesus Christ. Bible study, prayer, and brokenness. He had a Bible study with them on the way. Then they prayed, and he broke the bread. And after Jesus prayed and broke the bread, then their eyes were opened, and they said, Oh, it is Jesus. Oh, it is Jesus. Oh, it is Jesus. And I want you to know that if we engage in Bible study, in prayer, and in brokenness, what do you mean by brokenness, Pastor? Say, God, break up the pride in me. Break up the selfishness in me. Break up the anger in me. Break up everything in me that is unlike you. Spirit of a living God, fall afresh on me. Break me, mold me, melt me, make me over again. If we engage in Bible study, prayer, and brokenness, that is when we will see Jesus. And we need to see him because... Mission priority. Mission priority. Mission priority. I'm so glad that even as I drink this water, I'm reminded that Jesus is the source of living water. So the first step to be able to live out the motto, mission, priority, it's harvest time, 
is to refresh your prayer and devotional life. Say it with me. Come on, say it like you actually mean it. Refresh your prayer and devotional life. All together now, go. The second step is to renew your commitment to being a loving disciple. Ellen White in the book, Mind, Character, and Personality, she says this. She says, be lovable. Let Christ be seen in all that you do. Let all see that you are living epistles of Jesus Christ. Be lovable. Let your life win the hearts of all who are brought in contact with you. There's a little book that you have in your delegate bag. It's called Lead like, Leading Like Jesus, Sharing Hope at Church, at Home, and in the Marketplace. And I want to ask you to just turn with me for a minute, if you have it, to page 49 of that book. And I want to thank uh, Stanborough Press, which is our Adventist, Seventh-day Adventist Press in the UK, for helping me put this little book together. You know, when I was asked to deliver the, the closing challenge, I had so much I wanted to share that I realized I wouldn't have enough time. So I said, let me put it all together in a little booklet that I can give you, and it can challenge you throughout the year until our next ASI in Orlando. Was that all right? And so it's here for you, and I want to ask you that you would just look at page 49. And I'm going to read from page 48, actually. When all is said and done, what is great leadership about? We hear the word disciple a lot, but what does it really mean to be a disciple of Jesus? Especially for us as Bible-believing, Sabbath-keeping, commandment-obeying, Seventh-day Adventist Christians. What does it mean to be a disciple? And how do we know that we are actively engaged in discipleship in our home, in our church, and in our community? Scholars believe that a disciple is simply a follower of Jesus. But what does it look like to be a follower of Jesus? And how can we tell the world that we are His disciples? Jesus shares something deeply profound to His disciples about this in John 13, 34, and 35. He says, A new commandment that I give you, that you love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this will everyone know that you are my disciples, so that you love one another. Here Jesus explains what it means to be a disciple. He says being a disciple involves more than uttering pretty turn phrases and namby-pamby soliloquy. Disciples are followers of Jesus who model the radical love of Jesus by loving one another. In fact, he declares that this is a new commandment he is giving. And it's interesting that Jesus gives this commandment to his disciples. These are the very disciples who are supposed to be modeling love one for another. However, instead, they're fighting and competing with each other. They had allowed greed and pride to get in the way of selfless service for the Savior. So instead of loving unconditionally, they were always fighting, always bickering. Who's going to sit on the left side and who's going to sit on the right side? And who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Ellen White, in her book, The Desire of Ages, reflecting on Jesus' words, says this, In his last meeting with his disciples, the great desire which Christ expressed for them was that they might love one another as he had loved them. To the disciples, this commandment was not new. 
for they had loved one another as Christ had loved them. But he saw that new ideas and impulses must control them, that new principles must be practiced by them. And through his life and death, they were to receive a new concept of love. The command to love one another had a new meaning in light of his self-sacrifice. The whole work of grace is one continual service of love, of self-denying, of self-sacrificing effort. During every hour of Christ's sojourn on the earth, the love of God was overflowing from him in irrepressible streams. All who are imbued with his spirit will love as he loved. The very principle that actuated Christ will actuate them in all their dealing with one another. This love is the evidence of their discipleship. By this will all men know that you are my disciples, Jesus says, if you love one another. When men are bound together, not by force or self-interest, but by love, they show the working of an influence that is above every human influence. Desire of Ages, page 677 and 678. So in light of all this, here are some questions for us to contemplate. Are you truly a disciple? If so, are you modeling discipleship and letting people know you're a disciple by having genuine love for others? Would your spouse or your children or your parents or your siblings call you loving? Do you relate to your family in a loving way or harsh and indifferently? How loving are you to those you feel threatened by in church? Do you model love and service to the person you think could potentially take your place when nominating committee meets next year? How loving are you when you're not chosen for a church office or the position that you feel you've worked for or you deserve? Do you model the unselfish, humble servanthood of Christ? Or do you model self-centeredness, rudeness, and unforgiveness? Are you loving, kind, caring, and compassionate? Are you obedient to Jesus' command to love one another? If we're going to call ourselves disciples, then we have to be loving. And my prayer for each one of us is the next time someone asks, who is a disciple? That they will be able to look at each one of us and declare, he's a disciple, she's a disciple, because they love one another. So number one is refresh your prayer and devotional life. Number two is renew your commitment to be a loving disciple. Look to your neighbor and say, be nice. Yeah, look to your other neighbor and say, be nice. Maybe they're the ones that's not so nice. That's right. Be, be loving. And number three is rekindle your passion to get involved in active ministry. If you go to page 20 of the same book, uh, page 20, leading like Jesus, uh, there's a little thing here on page 20. It's called Total Member Involvement, part one, and there's a part two. It says, as Jesus was approaching the close of his ministry on earth, he gave his disciples some very interesting instructions. He told them to go to a particular village, and when they saw a donkey tied up to untie it, take it, and bring it to him. 
If anyone asked them what they were doing, they were just to say that the master had need of it. So the disciples took the donkey, and that donkey became involved in ministry. Can you imagine a donkey being involved in ministry? A donkey was awarded the humble privilege of carrying on his back Jesus, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. The interesting thing about this donkey is that it was all tied up. You see, donkeys are meant to be working to help ease the burden of those nearby. But this donkey was tied up, meaning that it was just standing idly by, not reaching its full potential for ministry. Jesus saw from afar off that this donkey needed to be used in Christian service. And so he told the disciples to untie the donkey, release it, and let it do what it was created to do. I've got a question for you this evening. How many times have we perhaps acted like that donkey? How often have we been standing by with our gifts and talents tied up instead of using them for ministry? How often have we listened to appeals in church to get involved or give more while we stand idly by with our hands folded and our talents and resources tied up? How much more could we accomplish if we untie the donkey, our donkeys and release them to be used by the master? We have no idea how much God is wanting to bless us because many of us have missed our blessings because we prefer to be bench warmers rather than involved in ministry. I want you to do me a favor. Turn to your neighbor, give him a tap on the shoulder and say, untie your donkey. Turn to your other neighbor and say, you untie your donkey. I want you to know the Seventh-day Adventist Church has launched a global initiative called Total Member Involvement. And I'm excited about this incredible concept. Total Member Involvement is an invitation for every single Seventh-day Adventist Christian to untie their donkeys, release their full potential, and get involved in ministry and service for Jesus. Jesus extended this invitation over 2,000 years ago. He told his disciples, look, the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers in the harvest field. Jesus reminds us that we have a great harvest, but we are desperately in need of more workers. This is a call for total member involvement. Can you imagine what could happen if every single Adventist member was willing to move from being a spectator and a bench warmer to being an incredible worker for God? Think of the incredible difference we can make for God's kingdom. We can wrap up the work and we can go home. Amen. This Amen. is our calling. Amen. And so I'm leaving you with three things as the clock just hit zero. So now I'm on overtime. Grace. Thank God for grace. I ask for just three minutes of grace. I don't believe in speaking long, but let me wrap up. Mission priority? Mission priority? Mission priority? How do we make mission our priority? Number one, refresh your prayer and devotional life. Say it. Number two, renew your commitment to be a loving disciple. You say it. And number three, rekindle your passion to get involved in active ministry. 
Let's say it one more time. Rekindle your passion to get involved in active ministry. So three things as I close. Now some preachers say lastly and they last, but I say in conclusion, I actually conclude, praise the Lord. I want to challenge each of you, number one, to get involved in active ministry. Next year, June 25 to July 3rd is our general conference session in Indianapolis, Indiana. The theme of our 2020 GC session is Jesus is coming, let's get involved. In preparation for that theme, I want to challenge you between now and GC session to preach or conduct at least one evangelistic series either here at home or overseas. I'm going to say it again. Between now and GC session, or even now and the next ASI in Orlando, I want to challenge you to preach and conduct at least one evangelistic series either here in North America or overseas. Can we say amen? Amen. Will you rise to the challenge? Oh, that, that was quiet. Will you rise to the challenge? Amen. Amen. Now, now you actually have to do it. <laughs> Number two, ASI has created some resources to help you do this. We have picture rolls if you desire to go overseas. You can go to www.picturerolls.org or you can go to asiministries.org and click under media and then click on picture rolls. And we have picture rolls, and they're, they're beautiful picture rolls designed for places overseas where there's no power, where there's no PowerPoint, and you would just have to preach under a mango tree. But they're beautiful, and you can get them and go overseas and make a difference. My wife and I were missionaries in Kenya, and we used it among the Maasai people in Kenya, and it is such a blessing. We also have the New Beginnings Evangelistic Series. The New Beginnings Evangelistic Series is an awesome series written by Mark Finley. And this year, we refreshed the series. We were asked for Global Youth Day to do seven sermons. We did not remove one jot or one tittle from the text of the sermons. But we completely ref refreshed the graphics in HD and in a youth-friendly oriented way. And so you could use those sermons to preach and because of the success with Global Youth Day, we actually have all 26 sermons now done in the New Beginnings GC Youth Edition. You can just go to newbeginnings.org slash media slash, no, asiministries.org slash media slash new beginnings and click on GC Youth Edition. These are resources that we have for you to keep your commitment of preaching one series either here or overseas. And, and here, it could even be in your home as a small group Bible study. But I want to challenge you to do it. And lastly, next year, we're planning an overseas mission trip to Madagascar. We want to invite you to go with us on that mission trip. More information will be available to you. As I conclude, I want to share this final story. The aunt, the teacher tells a story. She says, she, she, she's a grade three teacher 
and she tells her kids a story. She says the ant and the grasshopper were friends. And all summer long, the ant saved up and worked hard to store up food for the winter. But the grasshopper played and frolicked in the mud. And when the winter came, then the grasshopper ran out of food. So the grasshopper ran to the ant and said, can I please have some of your food? And she said to her grade three students, now you finish the story. So they wrote their ending to the story. Later that night, she's grading the papers. So one little boy wrote, the ant said to the grasshopper, no, no, never, never, uh-uh-uh, you'll never have any of my food, hallelujah. And then another little kid wrote, the ant shared his food with the grasshopper, but halfway through the winter, the food ran out, and they both died. Ha! So those were the types of stories she got. But little Timmy wrote something special. Little Timmy said the ant gave all his food to the grasshopper. The grasshopper lived, and the ant died. And at the bottom in child's crayons was a picture of Jesus and the cross. Don't you know that that's what Jesus has done for you? He gave all so you can live. And now you got to tell somebody about it. Tell somebody about the goodness of Jesus. Tell somebody that he's coming soon. Tell somebody that the Seventh-day Adventist church has a message of hope and healing. Tell somebody that mission priority. Mission priority. Mission priority! Mission priority! If it's your desire to accept this challenge of mission priority and live a missional life, just stand with me right now as we pray. Lord, we accept this challenge. We pray that you will help us to truly live missional lives. And when you come, may you say to each one, well done, thou good and faithful servant. May we leave here with a focus renewed on mission, remembering that Jesus is coming soon. May we do all we can to tell our friends and neighbors about Jesus. We pray and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was produced by Audioverse for ASI. Adventist Layman's Services and Industries. If you would like to learn more about ASI, please visit www.asiministries.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.